You are now tuned to the Priority One Subspace Frequency, brought to you by Sayulita.com. Sayulita, the galaxy's premier shore leave destination. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Episode 116 of Priority One, recorded live on Thursday, February 21st, 2013 via trekradio.net and published every Monday morning for download on PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Adrian. I'm James. I'm Tony. And I'm Elijah. So what do we have this week, James? This week we trek out a redshirt analysis of some new tech that seems straight out of Trek. We'll review all the happenings in This Week in Stowe news, covering the last Ask Cryptic, Deadblog Season 7, all the way to 37 and 38, PvP bootcamp updates, patch notes, and give you an edumacation on this episode's field notes. As always, toward the end of the show, we'll open hailing frequencies and review your incoming messages. Elijah? Captains, be sure to listen in on our live recording on trekradio.net every Thursday at 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern. You can actually chat with us in-game by typing forward slash channel underscore join trekradio.net. Or if you're at work or mobile, you can visit trekradio.net and jump on their IRC chat client, which can be found under the community link. You listen to the show. You know you love us. So join us. If you've got a knack for audio editing, send us a sample of any audio productions you've done to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. That's incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Remember, we are a labor of love, so we can't pay, but we're looking for an audio editor to help with our shows. Think you're up to the challenge? Then write us a note, incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can be part of the team by submitting your freelance writings to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. All submissions received are for the show. We'll be entered into this month's random drawing for 1,000 then. This includes comments on our website and email segment topics. Well, before we move on with the show, let's recap what's been going on at PriorityOnePodcast.com. In his latest article, The Spirit of Trek, Podcast So Plenty, Soradim helps you get your Trek fix with a list of great Trek-related podcasts. And in his latest Astrometrics report, Dr. Robert Hurt takes us on a search for Tao Dewa. Also, be sure to trek it out with episode 12, where we interview author Larry Nemechek and the owner of Geek Nation Tours, Terrace Cassidy, when they describe this year's adventure to Star Trek Las Vegas 2013. So be sure to visit www.priorityonepodcast.com for unlimited access to all of this great content. Well, let's get ready to trek it out. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Ladies and gentlemen, red does not equal dead. Red shirt has become more or less synonymous with cannon fodder, but is this really the most dangerous color? Well, it turns out for the crew of the USS Enterprise 1701, statistically, gold was the color of doom. 
The good people over at Significance Magazine ran the data from Memory Alpha through the ringer, and they found out that of the 55 crew positions that required a gold shirt, nine of them bought the farm during the series. For the red-shirted set, 24 out of 239. So, for Kirk's crew, if you were wearing gold, you had a 13% chance of kicking the bucket. And if you were wearing red, you had a 10% chance of taking a dirt nap. It's probably too late to change the red shirt meme, but at least the statistically-minded Trekkies have the facts about the deadliest 23rd century shirts. That is awesome. It's good to know. I mean, the more you know. Uh, all right. Well, our next one on Trek It Out. This is about the synth hall. Once again, the world is catching up to Star Trek. This time, scientists at UCLA and USC are working on nanoscale polymer-coated enzymes that would break down alcohol molecules in your bloodstream. Experiments in mice confirm that after injecting these tiny capsules, blood alcohol levels drop significantly sooner than the mice who are stuck relying on their poor tiny mouse livers to sober up. Look for this quasi-synthahol technology to significantly reduce the number of embarrassing photos on Facebook, sometimes in the next decade. So next up for this technology, um, male pattern baldness? Mm. Yeah, that's actually super cool, that quasi-synthahol. What do they yeah. think of well, next? Well, let's watch some more Star Trek and find yeah, out what they're going to think of Yeah, nanoscale polymer-coated enzymes. Wow. I would like that. So it's just going to taste like, it's going to kind of taste like alcohol? Is that what it is? No, no, you, you drink all you want. It's just enzymes. They just break down the alcohol molecules in your bloodstream. So you it's, a, you don't, you know, you just drink you what drink you drink. You drink what you want and you get a shot. I mean, you, you get a sober up shot. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I don't think it would even affect the molecules if it was added like right at the last second to your drink either. I mean, if it was put in there and let to sit, the enzymes would probably affect the yeast or the hops or whatever you got, you know, however you make I guess it depends what you make alkalis. the polymers out of because if but, they're um, not alcohol or water soluble, if you have to like get into your stomach to break it down, I don't know. Maybe in the future you add these things to your drink and it still tastes like alcohol, but once it hits your stomach, it just doesn't get you drunk. You yeah. know what the biggest mistake is? After every drink, just have a glass of oh, water. Or I do that. if you I have a friend through. who's an EMT or a nurse or a doctor... Just fall asleep with an IV. But drink responsibly. Elijah, you sound like a pro. No, no, no. All right, Captains, discover something you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about. Then send it over to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And you'll be submitted into our random drawing for 1,000 zen. Let's check out what happened in Stow News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, we start off this week in Stone News with Ask Cryptic for February 2013. We will not, of course, be reading all of the questions, so we encourage you to head on over to StarTrekOnline.com and read them for yourself. But there are a few tidbits of information on here that we decided to pull and discuss. The first big thing was uh, character creation. Now, we heard in previous interviews with Dan Stahl that they're doing an overhaul on the character creation mechanic for Star Trek Online. So somebody asked to go into a little bit more detail about it, and of course he did not, but he did mention a few things. So for instance, Stahl says, we are taking the previous workflow of creating a character and condensing it down to race and class, appearance and background. Another key thing he said was, we will be expanding and improving the trait system in the May update, and there will be a good chance that you'll be able to reset or obtain rare traits for other species. More details will be shared as we get closer to the release. So this is big. We, you know, we've been talking about being able to retrait. Some of us have chosen the wrong traits or, you know, in retrospect, go back and do another one. 
So this is interesting. I wonder what this new uh, character creator UI is going to be like. Supposedly we're not losing anything. That's the word on the street. They're just sort of reorganizing where stuff is. They'll make it smooth. The other important thing and the other very special thing was that you'll be able to reset or obtain rare traits from other species. So we will be open to new traits that we don't have access to now, which is actually pretty interesting. You know, everybody's going to want to be efficient. You know that one for sure. Well, yeah, efficient. But, you know, we have these unique uh, races that you only were able to obtain either the lifetime subscription or some promotion. So I wonder what they're going to do with those races and, and species. It was the Joint Trill and it was Liberated Borg. So curious. We'll have to wait and see. Now, that efficient trade is only on about two races? Yeah, I think so. Right. Well, Saurians have it. The Liberated Borgs have it. And I think there's a couple other faction species that have it on the opposite side, like whether it's the Lethians that the Klingons have and someone else. There's a couple groups that have it, but the ones real famous on the Federation side for having is the Saurians and the Liberated Borg. The other big topic of discussion was benefits for lifetime subscribers. Uh, the May update, according to Destall, will also have additional benefits and perks for all subscribers. But we are not discussing what those are just yet. Of course not. We've always had this discussion about what's good about the subscription and lifetime subs. Depending on what they release, I'm still one to say that you're better off buying a lifetime subscription than subscribing month to month in this game. It's just in the long run, it doesn't make sense to pay the monthly subscription especially with those deals that they've had on the Lifetime. And I'm sure we'll see them more again. I bought mine right after they announced that they were converting to free to play. Some people, that was against the conventional wisdom, but I looked at it as that, well, the game's definitely going to be around for a long time, and they're giving away a bunch of stuff. So We've also got a little bit of discussion about the Terran Empire as a playable faction, or the ability to get more ships, to which D. Stahl replies, we have considered the Terran Empire, and more generally the entire Mirror Universe, as a possibility for expanding the game in the future. Before we decide, we would create a Mirror Universe feature episode series and then gauge interest on whether a full expansion into the Mirror Universe would be viable or not. In any event, we will continue to add more Mirror Universe ships and ship designs to the game as time goes on. I don't see there being any way, shape, or form that we're going to see an expansion that big before they add a, a sector that includes any of the founding members of the Federation. We're talking years. Oh, yeah. If they're going to do that, it'll be it'll be a ways off. They got to finish the Klingons first, and then the Romulans. They have to add the Romulans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of the founding members, adding Beta Z and other founding members has been mentioned in there. We've also considered this is a possible starting point as a boundary authored sector. That's kind of weird, but cool in the same time. I don't know. As long as it's done well, where the majority of the missions are akin to sector spotlight missions, all authored by the community ahead of time. So. There's a good chance that you'll see us doing something with Beta Z, Telar, and other nearby systems in the years to come. But it looks like it might be done by Foundry people. So this could be fun. This could be a lot of fun. It really gives a chance to showcase the talent of our community, which should be great. Speaking of the Romulan faction that we were talking about earlier, when answering a question about obtaining a Romulan Warbird or a Derek Stahl, alludes to the fact that they might actually be working on a playable Romulan faction, which I think kind of we already know it's going that way. We now have the whole Romulus thing going on, and we have the March of the Raptors' Wings coming up. I think it's on its way. So we discussed this opportunity when we were developing Season 7. However, they decided that the player interest in a Romulan faction is so high, we need to reserve these ships for a future update when we can implement a playable Romulan faction. So until then, these ships will be off-limits 
to the Romulan reputation system. I want to go back a second. Adding Beta Z and other founding members, a foundry-authored sector. Now, I know in episode 100 of Podcast UGC, they went and discussed this a little bit about doing some kind of foundry-authored sector. Tony, you've dabbled in the foundry before, right? Oh, yeah. So how do you feel about a sector designed for foundry authors and those spotlighted missions being part of that, that whole area? I think it's a great idea. If they've got the formula worked out where someone can filter the content and hook it to the appropriate doors in the sector, I think it's a fantastic idea. It's far superior to those patrol missions that you get if you, you know, go into the Delta of Alanis or whatever and it just pops up and you kill five mobs or scan whatever it is, cocoons. I think doing something that someone has sort of labored over and hopefully checked and then cryptic has rechecked and is a quality sort of story mission, I think it's a I think it's a great idea. But there was something else in that response from Stahl that I really liked a lot and just want to point out. Other nearby systems in the years to come. I just want to highlight the fact these guys are thinking really long term uh, for the life of this game. And I think, you know, to be able to think about what's, what we're going to do two years from now, three years from now is a luxury that, that they have. And I'm glad to see that they're thinking that way. You know, there's so much talk about the Foundry recently and the rewards having been removed from them and concerned over exploiters versus story authors. I just hope that they find a solution that is going to entice players to go in and play Foundry Authored missions while still controlling a little bit exploitations, any sort yeah. of issues. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they've got to. They've got to figure this out because Neverwinter is going to be such a big part of Neverwinter. And I, I'm sort of glad they're experimenting on us, trying to tweak the rewards and try to figure out how to get the exploiters out of there. I'm glad they're using us as a guinea pig because the better that they uh, get data from us, the better they're going to have stuff for Neverwinter. And then hopefully the tools and the equipment that they have for the Neverwinter Foundry come back to Star Trek Online. Get a nice harmonious feedback cycle of love and non-exploitingness. I mean, I can't imagine, I can't think of any mechanic that'll help, but having a, a dedicated sector for Foundry, I mean, the stories that can come out of that are, I, can, I can't even imagine how awesome those stories would be. Because right now things have been kind of independent. You know, you have authors who are independent, but imagine... Going into a sector and all of a sudden there's a planet and boom, a mission pops up and it's a Foundry mission. It's something that's been spotlighted, something that's been reviewed. Brandon often runs like a literary contest and he sort of gives people a prompt and then he says, go write things, go be creative. I can see that being a really great sort of tie-in for the Foundry where you have 10 or 12 or 15 planets or whatever in that sector and then you get a prompt and you say, make a mission that does this and then you just see what people turn out i think that could be a nice time yeah. that would be epic that'd be so awesome for fan base stuff all right so we had a question from warhammer for mr stall it said is it true that the game's space combat engine cannot handle more than four weapons per side mr stall says let me stop you right there buddy okay we have a ship coming out that breaks that rule so it's not true and that leads right into season seven devlog number 37 number 38 talking about our new andorian escort this thing is the hotness ship artist ian jam jam richards has done it again shares his details about designing the uh, andorian kumari escorts which are just awesome the new look was decided upon was that of a modern supercars jet fighters type style and they did a great job with it the entire visual design got that treatment a dark glossy blue-black with a mostly blue-red accent was the way to go, as these ships need to look sleek, aggressive, and strong, and they do. So here's my thing. There's no doubt that these are some mean-looking ships, and if I'm not mistaken, these alien ships are what he prefers making. Like He's, he's a big fan of doing these out-of-the-box, out-of-the-federation box designs. Now, I'm no artist, but 
if form follows function, then why are the wings angled? Like, they kind of do like a V thing. Because that's how the original ones were. It's a style choice. Well, you know, and you got to lock your S-foils in attack position before you charge the death. Sacrilege. So. That is the wrong IP, sir. Oh, oh wait, wait. Ooh. Wander on back sorry, to Hoth. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, yeah, you're right, you're right. It was, it was edged there. You know what I would have really liked, though, to have seen was if they extended like, if you were going to do, like, some super cannon thing, it would go, you know, and, like, reach out. So, while many other recent ships, such as the Armitage, the Jem'Hadar Heavy Escort Carrier, strike a balance between offensive firepower and defensive strength, the Andorian Escort line focuses exclusively on dealing damage. That's right. Laying hate, shooting hot polymer, whatever you want to call it, it is going out. This is what players might call a glass cannon, however. Formidable offense at the cost of versatility and survivability with an unprecedented five forward weapon slots but only two in the app so technically there is still balance it's still really only eight weapons it's not like they're giving us an extra slot they've just allowed one to be moved to the front for five the kamari line is built to hit enemies hard and fast a lot like klingon ships actually is what i was thinking of it's kind of built like those it's meant to come in hard fast lay hate and, and kind of vanish off but one of those weapon slots is for the Andorian Escort's integrated wing cannons delivering powerful bursts of phaser energy too quickly for any opponent to recover. This weapon can be removed and replaced by a different weapon. However, it cannot be equipped on any other ship other than the Andorian Escort. Only one may be equipped per ship at a time. Now, this is where it gets a little weird, and I was a little disappointed. This is definitely a money-grabber move right here. So, sorry, Cryptic. I can't be all happy, happy, go, go on this one because I'm kind of not happy about it. Upgraded Mark 11 very rare Andorian phasers may be purchased from the Dilithium store if you own at least one of the Kamari line and can be equipped on any ship. So, you're telling all me right, that's a big you, problem, yeah? Right, because right, because you're you're paying fifty so, bucks if you so, buy yeah. the set, right? You're paying fifty mm -hmm. bucks yep. for these ships, and then you're telling me I have to go and buy upgraded equipment for the upgraded ship. I just paid $50 whoa, 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 for? James, 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 let me remind you that you do not have to pay money to earn dilithium. You can grind dilithium. No, I completely agree. I completely 100% agree because if we're going to be shelling out money for a plus one ship, it should be, it ready, should to be go. ready to go, right? This wasn't yes. the case with the, the Odyssey. Now, these are consoles. These are weapons that you're purchasing for the ship, right? This right. is something that is dealing damage. Now I have to go spend more time or money, whichever one right. you want to do. It doesn't really matter. Time is money. To then get an upgraded weapon version of that? Uh, well, not cool. Okay. Not cool. And, and let me say this. Okay, I, I paid the Vesta pack, and I had to go get upgraded weapons for it. However, why do they only have Mark 11? Where's our Mark 12s? We have every other type of weapon in Mark 12. So now I'm only able to buy this ship, and the best I can put on it is Mark 11s if I want to stick with the IP rare Andorian phasers type. I think it's very disappointing, especially for the price. If you buy the full $50 kit, that's a lot of money. $50. $50. Really? That's a lot. It should just come with those things. You know what I'm saying? Well, we got some stats on the Andorian Escort, so in case you're interested. The base stats include hull strength, 32,000, crew 85, weapons 5.4 and 2 aft, and device slots 2. The base turn rate is 16 degrees per second, so you can try to run away after an alpha strike. For the Kumari class, the tactical focus is one of the three. You'll get five tactical console slots and the phaser dispersal array console. The phaser dispersal array console allows your wing cannons to charge up and fire a powerful blast that will damage your targets and all enemies near your target. Now, this is impressive. One commander tactical 
four abilities, one lieutenant commander tactical, three abilities, one lieutenant tactical, two, and one ensign engineering, and one lieutenant universal. That's a pretty, I mean... That's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. I mean, you're talking, like you said, four ability, just tactical alone, and then the one lieutenant universal, you can you know, imagine putting another tactical in there. Uh, I can't imagine that many tactical powers. The cooldowns will kill you. I mean, right. you can only have so many things, and a lot of them are on global or shared cooldowns. I mean, right. Just... The Tyrol class sacrifices a single lieutenant tactical bridge officer slot for an engineering slot, allowing for more defensive versatility. In addition, one tactical console slot has been replaced with an engineering console slot while retaining both science console slots. That's cool. So, in addition, the Chiral Escort comes with the Wing Cannon Platforms console that deploy and orbit your ship and fire on your Wing Cannon's targets. The Wing Cannon Platforms will only fire while you are firing your own Phaser Wing Cannons. And for the science folks in the audience, we have the Kaizong class, which has one Lieutenant Science Bridge Officer slot at the expense of a Lieutenant Tactical slot from your Kumari. The Kaizong Escort comes with the Tachyon Induction Relay, that's a console, and allows your wing cannons to fire a powerful tachyon burst that damages all of your target shield facings. Yay! I like messing with shields. <laughs> and of course, there's a set bonus when you have one or more of the special consoles equipped to form the Andorian Assault Set. The two-piece set bonus grants synchronized targeting, a passive bonus to accuracy. The three-piece set bonus is Wing Cannon Synergy. This allows the player's deployed Wing Cannon platforms to benefit from the player's special cannon abilities, such as Cannon Rapid Fire and Scatter Volley, and the special attacks provided by the Tachyon Induction Relay and Phaser Dispersal Array consoles. Nice. Those are some pretty interesting set bonuses. I mean, yeah. I'm still upset about the whole, I gotta <laughs> spend dilithium on a plus one oh, weapon. Okay. It's just not, not cool, man. Not yeah, cool. it should have been included. That's nothing. Now, we got a little bit of bugs, right, Tony? What, what is it that players should be aware about with this Andorian ship? Well, actually, I wrote all this stuff up, and uh, I'll mention them real briefly, but I just checked my Twitter feed. And apparently, uh, there's a patch coming Friday morning, tomorrow morning. So, uh, by the time the uh, this show is released on Monday, we should all be a thing of the past. Well, all except for one of them, and I'll tell you what that is in a minute. But there was a problem that you couldn't discard the wing cannons if you unequipped them. There was a problem that the shield capacity for the ship was not getting bonuses properly applied to it. And so, your glass cannon was really more like sort of a Fig Newton cannon, because it just crumbled uh, as soon as you got hit healing buffs for the hull and the shields were kind of underpowered. But as of tomorrow morning, I just looked at my Twitter, Brandon says that there's a patch for tomorrow morning. All these should be fixed. There's one other thing out there that's a complaint, not really a bug. This is apparently working as intended. All those features that Adrian just mentioned, the cannon powers that you have from your consoles, they share a global cooldown with your cannon buff abilities. So all those tactical abilities that you're going to load up on all those buff slots those share a cooldown with your consoles. Now, it's intentional to do that, uh, but it's going to be evaluated. Apparently, they did some internal testing, and they were able to do some very serious spike damage uh, that sort of unbalanced things, so they put these cooldowns together. So they're taking feedback on it, though, so hit the forums if you want to let your voice be heard. So, I'm sorry, explain this to me again. So the Andorian Cannon Power share a global cooldown with Cannon Boff abilities. Right. Right, so let's say with those four tactical slots, the three lieutenant commander slots, I, I load up some scatter volleys and some uh, cannon rapid fires on there. Those share a cooldown when I use them. 
apparently, so do your consoles, your Andorian wing cannons. Those are also cannon powers. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're all on a cooldown together, so you can't keep doing the high spike damages with the console powers and your usual regular bot powers. So kind of brings down the fun factor a little bit if you can't do that devastating burst damage very often, but it sort of unbalanced the game according to their internal testings if you had those things all on separate cooldowns because you'd fire off your console abilities and then right after that you'd fire off your boff abilities and you'd be spraying hate just a little too often. So why is this ship still not better than the Jem'Hadar attack ship? Uh, survivability. Okay, so the Jem'Hadar still offers a greater hull and greater survivability. So, you know, it's one of those things. If you're going to lay down firepower and completely sacrifice your survivability, you need to lay down massive firepower. And they're laying down good firepower, but I wouldn't say it's massive. I didn't think that any of the ones that I flew with today were doing any more damage than I was. I was expecting this thing to fly past me and just waste stuff. I mean, just just explosions. I was going to follow his trail of explosions to the victory, and it wasn't like that at all. What it was is they'd come in, they'd fire, and they'd blow up in front of me, and I'd fly past and, and finish the job. Because I had more survivability in my fleet defiant and could lay just about as much firepower. Now, here's just to go over some numbers. The Andorian base hull is 32,000, whereas the Jemadar attack ship, 34,500. The bridge officer layout is similar insofar that there are two universal lieutenant slots. So you can kind of interchange there. So where in the Andorian setup, between each of the three ships, you sacrifice one lieutenant in the Jemadar attack ship you have two lieutenant universals. So it's imagine the Andorian with two universal lieutenants, and you don't have to choose between it. You can switch interchangeably. What I find interesting, what do you think is better, the plus 15 to weapons subsystems or the Jem'Hadar plus 15 to weapons power? You see, I would think weapons power instead of subsystems. Well, it depends. I mean, when you're putting it to the weapons, it's more of like putting it straight into damage, basically, DPS or whatever. And when you put subsystem power, basically you're keeping your weapons energy power up so that you can fire as, as often as you want to. You know what I mean? You're keeping your your rapid ability up so that because you know how like when you do like an alpha strike or something, like it really drains. You see your, your power bar down there go like dip off by half or more. So by doing that, what they're doing is allowing it to, like they said in the in the thing that you know, it delivers such damage so quickly that you can't recover, and that's part of that. By keeping that power up, that subsystem power up, it allows it to keep rapid firing and doing all the stuff it needs to do to get that damage out there as quickly as possible, um, as opposed to the Gemadar where the power is actually put in the fire, you know, in the weapon itself, basically. So when it's hitting, it has more power. So, um... As always, we love to support Sargon, Pug01, and the rest of the team over at the PvP Bootcamp. With their help, our Field Note segment has been a great success, and we hope they'll continue to help us teach you the ways of the Force. I mean, PvP. PvP. Yeah. To help you take it to the next level of your gameplay, be sure to sign up for their ground combat session slated to be held on March 2nd. You can sign up on their website or on the Stowe forums under Feedback PvP Gameplay PvP Bootcamp. That's, that's the thread right there. So feedback, and then go to PvP Gameplay, and then under that, PvP Bootcamp. If you need to do the search, you can throw it in the search. It'll probably pop up in the forums. Check it out, and March 2nd, that's their ground combat session. So that yeah, gives you a bit of time to prepare for it. But I totally recommend this stuff. The uh, PvP Bootcamp open PvP sessions, if you can jump in, they're every Saturday at 5 p.m. CET. Or 1,700 hours. So jump in on that every Saturday. It gives you a, just 
great practice on knowing how to use what you got and what your stuff even means. So if you have any other questions or comments, you can contact Sargon via email at sargon.priority1 at gmail.com. Or you can reach him in-game. His handle is at gradstudent1. And he's cool. He'll totally get on that. Well, uh, I would like to introduce a regular segment on the show. We'll see how regular it can be. But I think we should call it Dan Stahl Agrees with Tony. <laughs> I think that that would be a fine uh, new segment for the show. Last week on the show, we had a breaking news segment because uh, Dan Stahl released uh, an update about uh, taking the fleet marks out of the Foundry wrapper, and that promptly exploded into a rage fest that rivaled just about anything that I've seen on the forum ever. And I said on the show, after we read this little patch notes thing, I said, I think it would have been better if maybe they had added in the extra fleet marks that they were planning to distribute prior to or at the same time as removing it from the Foundry stuff so that people would have those extra ways to earn the fleet marks. And, as it turns out, Dan Stahl agrees with me. Yesterday at 8.39 p.m. in the update on fleet marks and Elithian thread, Dan Stahl said, and I quote, we should have had the fleet mark changes we are making this week ready to go last week so there wouldn't have been a week with the drop in fleet mark earning. So there you have it, folks. Dan Stahl agrees with me. <laughs> we have patch notes to prove it. So in this week's patch notes, we have the no-win scenario. They've increased the uh, fleet mark rewards for rounds four, five, and six. The distribution of those three rounds is 30 marks total extra, over and above what you could earn before. There are 30 additional fleet marks in the Colony Invasion, Starbase Blockade, Starbase Fleet Defense, and Starbase Incursion. Starbase Alert now grants an extra 10 fleet marks each time an enemy wave spawns. And the Azura Nebula now grants twice as many fleet marks. Defera Invasion Zone and the Nukara Adventure Zone, each of their fleet mark levels have been bumped on the easy, hard, and medium levels. Mind Trap, the Foley and Romulan content, now grants an extra 30 fleet marks upon completion. And they've added fleet marks to each and every one of the PvP daily wrappers. So that's a little love for the PvP community out there. And they also included a bunch of other fixes, and as we previously talked about, the Andorian shipment fixes as well. So look for all those coming to a patch near you. So ten. I now have ten ways of earning fleet marks. And more yeah. fleet marks as it is. Got a lot. Yeah. Alright, well, Captains, I think that wraps up this week in Stone News. Let's get edumacated with Matthew 486DX and this episode's Field Notes. I'm sure there is an answer. Well, better get some facts. Joining us for this episode's field notes is at Matthew 486, fleet leader of Angry Tribbles. Today he'll be giving you some pointers on flying one of the most versatile ships in Star Trek Online, the Federation Odyssey-class starship. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad I could be here and uh, share some of my insights. Yes, and some valuable insights they are. Why don't you go ahead and talk to us a little bit about this PowerPoint presentation that you showed me before for what you created for your fleet. Well, this is a, a guide to show some of my members uh, what I've been running on a cruiser. A lot of people I know have been struggling. They want to be like the TV show, you know, big ship, deals damage, but usually doesn't always work out. But they're also supposed to be healers. But I've managed to combine both elements to kind of satisfy that desire. And uh, this is what demonstrates that. Well, awesome. So we'll, of course, have uh, links to the actual slides in our show notes, but uh, why don't you give us a rundown? Let's talk about the Odyssey class and how you've run it and, and your findings on it. 
Well, it's a great ship. It's got a lot of hit points. It's got a lot of power and a great bridge officer layout that's, as you said, versatile. Uh, the way I use it is even almost more tailored also still to the free Odyssey, so this can apply to almost anyone who might still have one of those but may have not purchased it yet, because I do use an Ensign Science Officer on this particular build. So I run two hazard emitters, with some bridge officer skills there, so that's one thing to note. Lieutenant Commander Engineer and a Commander Engineer, just like most other cruisers, even though it's universal, I still kind of go with that kind of layout, like a normal cruiser would be. And of course, Lieutenant Tactical. With the tactical layout, I use two copies of Fire at Will. In my experience, this has been the most effective thing with eight beam arrays. I've experimented with mines, torpedoes, um, all kinds of different combinations. But I found eight beam weapons helps because the targeting arcs, of course, if the ship doesn't turn very well. And you don't have to worry about too much where you're facing or how close you are for certain things. So you kind of have the ability to not worry so much about how you're dealing damage, especially with fire at will, especially healing allies. You know, you're kind of doing AoE to most anything in the area, so you can focus more on healing. Well, let's let's talk about weapons first. So you suggested that a captain should probably run eight beam arrays, and you right here preferably at all the same energy type. How does that affect power drain? What type of beams do you recommend? Does it matter the energy type? You know, some people say the phase polaron. What do you recommend? Well, there's a lot of people out there running anti-proton. In a way, it's it's good against the Borg, perhaps, or just extra raw damage. They have a lot of hit points, and, and they heal really fast, too. But that's kind of not recommended for any other PvE content, because... It's better to debuff or other procs that are available from different energy types. Overall, it's it's a very minimal difference. It's like 10% fluctuations in how much damage you might do or how effective a different energy type might be. For the most part, you can run whatever you like, and it, it doesn't make or break it. Personally, I prefer to buy beam weapons off the exchange or try to find good drops from things like fleet actions or things like that. Usually with at least one accuracy modifier or two if possible, and from there, you know, the best thing you can come across. Critical hit and critical severity, I prefer over damage modifiers wherever possible. Okay. Now for beam weapons, sometimes you get a significant amount of power drain. What do you recommend as a remedy for that? Well, as a part of the build, we run four copies of an emergency power ability. Two of them are going to be emergency power to weapons, and two emergency power to shields. On top of that, we also use one warp core engineer for an active duty officer, and that has a chance to buff your overall subsystem power every time one of those emergency power abilities goes off. And if you're cycling those four abilities, you can set one off every 15 seconds and have 100% uptime for both weapons and shields. So while in combat you can keep your weapons power up by having that set to 100, and then, you know, 8 beam arrays is going to drain, like, negative 70 power, but you can kind of get around that, because even though there's 125 cap, having overflow, almost, from the emergency power to weapons makes it so it only drains to, like, 80 weapon power instead of around 50. And that's what would happen if you weren't running those powers, and it lowers your DPS so much it's, it cuts it nearly in half or more. What about now some of the components of your ship, for instance, the deflector and engines? Oh, yes. Those are very important for staying alive for a cruiser. 
Uh, sometimes on an escort, they might be used for damage or even more survivability in limited fashion. It already is on an escort, but a cruiser, you can maximize the survivability even more. My favorite engine and deflector is still the old-fashioned Borg retro set from way back. I find that the two-piece heel proc is still almost overpowered. I mean, the whole set has been rebalanced because it's no longer a four-piece set, it's a three-piece set, and you can't get the shield heel proc without the Borg shield now, instead of having to been able to put in a different shield and just use the assimilated console, which is now the move to a new Omega set. But from what I've seen, the heal proc does about as much healing as at least hazard emitters one, if not more than that. And you have a 2% chance to get that any time you take damage throughout any mission. And unlike some of the new heal procs on some of the new Romulan consoles and other items, it doesn't seem to have a specific cooldown, so they can even repeat over and over. So it's, it's passive hull regeneration like no other. Well, speaking of shields, what about shields on the Odyssey class? There are many different options out there. There's also a new shield in the game, the Adapted Mako Shield. I unfortunately have not been fortunate enough to uh, get a hold of that myself, so I haven't really got any testing in with that. However, I've been using for a long time the Resilient Shield Array Mark 12, originally made available once the uh, STFs got revamped into a Q system. And there's a couple great things about this shield. It has pretty high capacity for a Resilient Shield. It's, it's almost on covariant levels. 5% absorption is great, and only 5% bleed through, which can come in handy sometimes with those plasma torpedoes. You know, sometimes the board can hit for 20,000, 30,000, even without high yield. And that's a lot now, when you come to bleed through. I wanted to pause a moment for our listeners that don't know. What does the 5% absorption and 5% bleed through mean? Oh, well, essentially, all shields typically have a 10% bleed through. So anytime you take damage, even if your shields are still up, your hull is still going to take a small amount of damage. And if you get hit really hard then still a lot of damage going to your hull, especially if it's in the tens of thousands, and something like an escort only has 40,000 hit points, and if you get hit by a 50,000 torpedo from the Borg, that's that's 10,000 hit points to your hull. That could be, you know, 10 or 20%. And if you're almost dead, then you could be completely dead at that point. Also, the main thing about this shield is the power conduit link. This is almost like a set bonus power with only requiring to have the shield itself. I'm surprised this isn't a part of the two-piece set bonus for the Mako shield impulse engines and deflector kit. Because what happens is, while you're taking damage, you can get plus two to all power levels for weapons, shields, engines, and auxiliary. And under most subsystems, you get a 2% boost per power point. So, plus 2 power, that's plus 4% effectiveness to each subsystem for the most part, and actually 8% effectiveness to your shield passive regeneration rate. So every 6 seconds, your shield will get a few extra hit points back, just uh, natively, and this improves that even more. And what's great is this power can also stack up to 10 times. So you can have a total of plus 20 to all power levels across the board. And if you're taking a lot of hits from, say, a mob of spheres, or you've aggroed a bunch of different uh, carrier pets in perhaps fleet defense, 
So it's almost like a, a ramjet. You know, the faster it goes, the more air gets compressed into the engine, and then the more efficient it gets, and the faster it goes again. You know, it's you know, the more damage you take, the more hits you get, the more power you get, and the more resilient you can be. It's almost like it almost operates better while under fire. And that's why I use the Mako Resilient Shield. Indeed. Why don't we briefly go over the types of consoles people should be looking at gearing up? Consoles are another critical part of the build. A lot of times, people will do different things with consoles. They'll try to minimize certain abilities and maximize others by just throwing everything into one thing on both your skill tree when you create your character and by getting consoles that also boost those same skills. In my personal opinion, it's most effective to have a balance of almost a little bit of everything. You know, don't put all your eggs in one basket, as it were. There's diminishing returns, of course, on damage resistance. I'm sure you guys have, uh, have many interviews with Al Rivera, the system designer, talk about things like that. I usually only use one damage resistance console on a cruiser, and that's the Neutronium Alloy. Without any other skills, just by itself, gives you pretty much 15% damage resistance for all damage types, kinetic and all energy types. And that's usually enough for, like, a passive resistance, because a lot of your buffs, part of this build for your bridge officers, also give you additional damage resistance as well. So when you're in combat, your resistance actually will be a lot higher. Sometimes, usually it's 20% or upwards of 40, depending upon what ability you might have active at any given time. Beyond that, there's also some great consoles out there engineering-wise to help your hull regeneration, both by keeping your crew alive, such as emergency force fields, also for structural integrity field generators, also help your passive hull regeneration rate, as well as your hull heal abilities, such as Hazemir's engineering team, or Miracle Worker if you're an engineering captain with that ability. It even boosts the heal proc we talked about before with the Borg Deflector and Engine two-piece set. Some people have also suggested that EPS flow regulators can help your DPS with energy drain from multiple or a entire build of energy weapons. I've been trying to test this, but so far I haven't seen a huge difference. It's also been rumored that this used to work, but no longer does since the last skill revamp around the time we went free-to-play. Going down to your secondary consoles, of course, uh, science and tactical, since engineering is the main focus, it's a cruiser. But science can also have a huge benefit to your healing, mainly with shields. Emitter arrays are great. They boost your shield emitter skill. A lot of your abilities, like emergency power to shields, uh, extend shields for your allies, this will help the resistance percentage you get from those abilities. Because much like damage resistance on your hull, there's also damage resistance on your shields for energy weapons. A lot of times, they usually range between 20 and 30% for the most part, sometimes lower for some level 1 buffs like Transfer Shield Strength 1. It might only be like 12 to 15%, but every little bit helps there. Shield emitters also boost the raw hit points that you get from those abilities, and it largely boosts the hit points you get from Science Team as well, which is a huge help across the board for you and your allies. I also like to use at least one field generator, especially with shields that are higher capacity with lower regen. That way you can uh, get some extra hit points to your shields to boost even more. And the main reason I use Science Team right now is because I have so much hit points to my shields, sometimes I was having a hard time keeping them full. But with Science Team, it's such a huge boost to all your shields. It's 3,200 points per facing. 
and I have about 12,000 points almost in combat with my uh, Mako shield. And keeping that full can be a full-time job, but running Science Team 2 every 15 seconds with two purple duty officers on the active roster that reduce the cooldown, it's like running two copies of it with only one copy. Uh, tactical Notate. consoles also really helps basically just to, for more DPS to support your team, especially if you want to be like the TV show and fly a big ship that has powerful weapons. It's great just to throw in as many damage consoles as you can get. Something that I've noticed, just as a quick note, some people have a common misconception about how diminishing returns may work with consoles. I've outlined this in detail in my PowerPoint, but suffice to say, what you really want is consoles that improve the energy type that you're using. Things like the directed energy console that improves beam weapon damage, but it's only 18%. And the specific energy type consoles stack just as well as these do, and you'll get a bigger bonus out of the specific energy type. And I like your math that you have it laid out there, and that's fantastic because that lays that misconception to rest. So listeners, I encourage you to check out this presentation here, this slide here, because it really outlines the benefit of stacking those consoles. Because I actually was under that misconception that you were getting diminishing returns. I think I only had like two or something like that. So that's good to know. So that covers mainly the gear of your ship. There's a couple other things. I do make some notes about some other active roster duty officers you might try. Such as now that's that's an important one. I do I want to cover that a little bit because you know with the duty officer okay. system, people tend to you know treat it like a separate mini game, it. which is yeah, right. and, and it, it is really a separate mini game. But having these active duty officers slotted for your space combat can really do a, a significant improvement on your build. Talk to me a little bit about that. You have a few listed here, and what do you have on like for instance the Odyssey to help out the uh, active duty officers. They, they can really have a huge benefit to your ship, and it depends on, you know, what ship you're flying and what powers you may use, because some duty officers have a great passive uh, ability that might work no matter what you're using, or they might work with your captain abilities, such as sensor scan for science officers, or uh, brace for impact is something everyone has, or evasive maneuvers, things like that. On the Odyssey, I like to use the shield distribution officers for brace for impact, as I mentioned. They can offer a nice shield heal while you're bracing for impact, or even if you're only under fire with energy weapons, you may hit brace for impact. You get the kinetic damage resistance boost, of course, but that's almost secondary. The shield heal actually used to be so powerful on this duty officer that they cut it in half, but it's still fairly effective. It's about as effective as Science Team 1. And in an emergency situation, that might be just the edge of staying alive versus dying and, and having a warp core breach on your hands. There's also, of course, the uh, warp core engineer. Speaking of warp cores, as I mentioned briefly earlier with some of our bridge officer powers, that one gives you a boost. A blue one is the one I use. It's a 20% chance to give plus 20 to all system power anytime you activate an emergency power to subsystem abilities such as weapons and shields like we're using. And since we're cycling those abilities every 15 seconds, it's a 20% chance, four times a minute, essentially, to get even more power to your ship. And it's hugely beneficial. Extra engine power can help you maneuver, and it improves your turn rate as well as your speed. Also, developmental lab scientists are the duty officers that reduce the cooldown for science team. 
if you want it to reduce the cooldown enough to where you can have one copy of Science Team and have it almost as if you were running two, you would need three blue officers or two purple ones to bring the cooldown to the global cooldown of 15 seconds. Two blue will bring it to 18 seconds, which is pretty close and fairly cheap, all things considered, energy credit-wise. If you have to buy them, they can also be gotten from a tier 3 star base. You can get blue duty officers, a random one, for 10,000 fleet credits, or you can get career-specific duty officers, such as tactical, uh, security, or engineering operations, science-slash-medical for a marginal more energy credits. I think it's somewhere in the 13,000 fleet credit range. And you can get a random type of duty officer from a tier 3 starbase at the blue level. Tier 4 starbases and up can get purple duty officers. Well, I've already gone on quite a bit. There's a good chunk of information here. Uh, I go into great detail on a lot of these slides. But the last big point I want to make is executing skills that are not a part of the spacebar cycle. Now the spacebar cycle is something a lot of people have been talking about, especially with PvP bootcamp and other things, where you can have some abilities chained to your spacebar to fire off automatically as you're pressing that to fire your weapons. There are some abilities though that you should probably not have fire off automatically, such as powers with cooldowns longer than one minute. As an engineering captain, some of the examples of this would be Miracle Worker, which is a huge hull and shield heal, usually reserved for an emergency situation where your normal heals can't keep up with the amount of damage you're taking. There's also abilities that help your damage, that keep your power drain in check, such as EPS Power Transfer, uh, Nadion Inversion. Nadion Inversion basically makes it so your energy resistance is so high the effectiveness level it used to be at was you'd be firing eight beam arrays, but the weapon drain would only be like you if you had four. So, you know, you're firing eight beam arrays at double the efficiency, and that's a huge DPS increase. EPS power transfer is like running emergency power to subsystem ability for every subsystem, and it lasts for 30 seconds. And a great way to improve your DPS to take down a large target, like a tactical cube, a gateway, is chaining these abilities one after another. If you hit Nadion Inversion, wait for a while, it lasts 30 seconds, then hit EPS Power Transfer. And chaining them in a row like that, or even uh, batteries, I like to use batteries on my ship, like a weapons battery too. And that lasts about 18 to 20 seconds if you spec some skill points in the batteries. This way, over like the course of a minute, minute and a half, you can pretty much double your DPS almost in those critical moments. That could be the decisive advantage in killing your enemy and getting killed yourself. So this is some amazing information here, and we've only scratched the surface and given uh, our listeners here just a snippet and a taste of what you could find in this PowerPoint. So we strongly encourage you to check it out. We've got things like keybinds, how to configure the power levels on the fly, things that you really want to invest some time, read through it. The best part of this is that it's easy to read. For gamers like me that have a hard time wrapping their head around the game mechanics and the theory behind it, you'll definitely be able to understand this and, and set yourself up well to enjoy your gameplay better in Star Trek Online. 
in closing, I think that covers just about everything, and um, I hope you enjoy the guide, and it helps people out, and feel free to contact me in-game. All right, Captains, well, you can reach him at Matthew486DX in-game, and thank you so much for stopping by and helping us learn how to better enjoy Star Trek Online. Well, no problem. Hopefully, uh, our paths will cross again someday. Awesome. Thank you, thank you. All right, that takes care of field notes for this episode. If you have any questions or concerns or would you like more information on what you just heard, send us an email to incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. Links, of course, to the slideshow will be in our show notes. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, coming to us from the Stowe Forums, Captain Merzan. Great show as always. I would like to apologize to anyone whom I may have offended. Not exactly sure what it was, we but we're good. <laughs> we accept. We we're good. We're good. Uh, Arcade Master, nice episode. I'm pretty sure STFs were always one hour cooldown since I'm playing the game, which is since it went free to play. So at least for over a year, it was like it is now. Coming from PriorityOnePodcast.com, we have Sean Newboy, who says a wonderful episode, everybody, and welcome back, James. Thank you, Sean Newboy. It's good to be back. Yu Chen comes in and says, That's quite a clash you guys had over the relations between Federation and Klingons. Kind of a lascivious, if you will. I wonder if there is some way this dispute could be incorporated into the game. A Klingon civil war could be a great way to test out new features like territory control or mutually exclusive reputation projects. Klingons would choose between a pro-Martok or pro-Jempok. Federation players would choose between assisting pro-Martok or otherwise and maybe enforcing non-intervention directives. Existing KDF players would get additional content, and prospective KDF players would get new ways to play their Klingon character. Devs could get new ways to test out the features, and for finishing the new reputation project, maybe I could get a Borel for my Federation character. Hmm. Fun. Yu Chen, yes, it was a clash, and actually, I like the idea of a reputation system for the Klingons, especially as a Federation character. You know, you can help out the other side. We already collaborate on certain things, I suppose, and have mutual enemies. Why not? But I still stick to my guns when I say that there has to be a definitive red versus blue, and uh, the Klingons are it. It but works good. It's fine. It's fun. Let's not reignite old fires, gentlemen. Let's move on. Well, from Facebook, Chris sends, Just heard episode 115, and I was sat on the edge of my office chair when I heard Tony say on the Star Wars content, quote, Turns out it wasn't all Admiral Ozzel's fault for coming out of hyperspace too early over Hoth, unquote. Chris says, I laughed so hard that my chair slid out from under me, my chin smashed down hard on my desk, and my ass cracked on the wheel arm of the chair. I got a battered and bruised, oh, but still no. laughing. Yes, no. <laughs> yes, folks, my comedy hurts people. That's what it does. It's dangerous, and you should all be warned when I take oh. to the air. Thank you for sharing that with us, Chris. Wow. That's awesome. Sorry about the, the bumps. Thank you. <laughs> So we have some from Twitter. Thank you, everyone who retweeted on Twitter. Our latest followers are at Matthias Sharp, Alex J. Nath, F. Hoogstraten, Colm1, Geek Peaks, and Primetime UGC. We know you. Thank you guys for following us and retweeting. All right, everyone. Thank you for the feedback. We love to hear from you every week. Uh, Chris, feel better. <laughs> If you want to reach out to us, just find us on Twitter at STOPriority1 or uh, shoot us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And if you're not yet subscribed to us on your feed RSS burner, then that's feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. 
Well, that wraps up episode 116, broadcasted live from trekradio.net. Remember that we're on air every Thursday night at 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. We get some amazing feedback. We love it, especially the one from Chris. Thank you. And we play much better to a live audience. You'll have fun. Captains, the Priority One Network is expanding, and we're in need of two, two deuce, two times, audio editors to help with the weekly publication of our podcast. If you feel you're the guy or gal for the job, then send us a sample of your work to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com so we can track it out. We are looking for your suggestions and ideas for Trek It Out, field notes, and general show improvements and additions. You can submit your ideas and questions with our online form on the Priority One website or via email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com, Facebook, or Twitter. Head over to PriorityOnePodcast.com and check out the latest comic by Alex Calderwood from his new Arc 2. And boy, does it look sexy. Oh my goodness. It is amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Beautiful. So we are on Facebook. Head on over to facebook.com slash priority one podcast and say hi. Or check us out on Twitter via at StowPriority1 for showtimes and other cool stuff. You can see uh, anything that we tweet through if we've been at a convention, if we're roaming around, if we got some cool news to share with you, something science-y, science-like. It's not all just Star Trek, but Star Trek is indeed what we love, and so is Star Trek Online. So check us out, join in, follow us, and share. Let people know where we're at, and uh, we love hearing from you. Hello, dear friends. It's that time again, where you help us help you. If you head on over to PriorityOnePodcast.com and click that little button that says Donate, and it helps us help entertain you. If you're an Amazon shopper, you can take a look at our affiliate store on the sidebar of the website, and maybe you'll find something oh so wonderful to buy, and your shopping will help support our show. Thank you to everyone who has donated via the button or by shopping through Amazon Affiliate Store. We appreciate your support. And we couldn't do this without you. Captains, we would like to thank the entire team at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Our production assistant and art director, Alex Calderwood. Our audio engineer, Lennon Rich. And the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thank you for our special guest, Matthew486DX. A special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. Our syndication partners, Subspace Radio, Trek Radio, and the Trek Radio Live crew. And of course... The STO community. Without you, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. trekradio.net and published there. Yes, tonight we are testing uh, Google Plus, another way for you guys to uh, watch us as we are recording episode 116 of Priority to- uh, Priority. 
Thomas because I Priority read Russell Thomas because he just walked into the Google Plus. Great name. PVP bootcamp updates, patch notes, and give you a. Oh, wow, there's a weird word there. What is that? And give you a what? Edumacation. That's supposed to be explanation. Edumacation. That is. N- Edumacation. James, is that you're what we're not edumacated okay. very much. If you don't know what the word edumacation means, <laughs> yeah. you're not edumacated. You can't even say it. Darn, darn made up words. Dr. Robert Hurt takes us uh, on a journey, trying to discover where ta- where Tau Tau Dewa Tau Dewa. Kababa, we want to watch now. you. Don't, are, is he taking it into the bathroom with no, him? No, no, no. That's I think that's his picture. That's his uh, that's his Star Trek picture. The, the cast and wait, everything. Wait, are you you're you're just gonna aim the webcam at a signed picture of what? Wait, what? All I see is your feet and a and a picture frame. Um, excuse me, sir. This was your idea. You need to put your webcam back up. It's he looks like an inverted CPU. My mom's inverted. Yeah, she is. Adrian, stop stop wiping your snot. I had to wipe the no. I had to wipe the spit off my upper lip. Someone asked me if I could touch my tongue to my nose, and I'm like, yes, I can. So I did it on the video. And then it, I had <laughs> to do. <laughs> so can you tie two cherry like, stems together cool. in a knot? Oh my! Uh, my mom knows how to, and I got to get my mom to teach me that in an in an appropriate way. Uh-huh. Yeah, she she sure. knows that trick. I don't know how to do that. She's pretty cool. My mom. If she comes in, because I'm at her house right now, then I'll bring her on so you guys can actually see my mom. Does she know you she make all these dad. horrible jokes about her? I'm trying to convince her? her to come to Trek Vegas. Uh, she knows. Oh. And she actually makes them too. She'll go, my mom, or she'll go, your mom. Your- <laughs> She's so funny. <laughs> your mom knows how to tie two terry stems together. <laughs> That's right. Your mom does. <laughs> Out of 239. So for Kirk's... Tr- uh, for Kirk- that would break down alcohol molecules. Mol- sorry. Molecules. Molecules. Alcohol molecules. 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 Say cool. Cool. Say whip. 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 Molecules. This time, scientists at UCLA and USC are well, just start. On... Just start. Yeah, start from the beginning no, for poor Lennon. I was talking for poor Lennon. Poor Lennon. Poor Lennon. But I didn't know at what point I actually didn't fumble, and I don't want him to be like, I cannot even understand her. I hate her. Okay. They they did do yeah. the you can, like, they you did do the when they did the fixer up house. Stewie, Stewie said you could hear the mice humping in the wall, and they did the ha 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 ha. Oh no! Oh, that's oh. so wrong. I'm gonna print out a bunch of those sixty dollars GPL bills, and I'm gonna be like, yeah, money, money, make it rain, money. make it rain. What you want me to pee on it? So we have some from Twitter, Twitter, our li- uh, latest. <laughs> If you want to reach out to us, just uh, find us on Twitter. Twitter. Tw- find us on Twitter. Connor Twitter. Find us on Twitter. We, we hang out on on top of Connor Twitter. <laughs> you can find us there. Oh, hi, Minnie. I'm totally smashed. <laughs> on the Priority One website via email, uh, you can submit your ideas and questions with our online form on the Priority One website. Website. Yeah, let's pull out before we get Warriors Den pregnant. Like if you were going to do like some super cannon thing, it would go... You know, and like reach out. You see, you have to be the visual. So now you guys have to join us on on Google Plus Hangouts so you can see the awesome animations that I'm doing. You look like a retarded bird that's trying to fly away. Yeah, you got to because that's what it sounds like. It's like the Andorian oh. assault set. The uh, the two piece. <laughs> <laughs>